Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Thank you for joining us in our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. Now, the Gospel according to Matthew is about one central person, and that is Jesus Christ. The central component of the Christian's proclamation must always be Christ. Of course, it's important for us to talk about other subjects and uh, pick up other themes. Uh, Christians need to dialogue with other viewpoints about different social matters, theological difficulties, and we can even get involved in political discussions, etc. But our central concern must always be Jesus. I like the way the old writer Griffith Thomas put it, Christianity is Christ. Or I think of C.S. Lewis's famous trilemma, how Jesus is either liar, Lord, or he's a lunatic. Uh, The issue of how to respond to the person of who Jesus is must always be our focal point. I've known people, even close people, and maybe you know as well, who have either always rejected the gospel or walked away from the Christian faith and pointing to different inadequate responses about how Christians have uh, dealt with various crises. Now, sometimes picking on Christians can just be, well, low-hanging fruit. But then again, I don't think other groups would necessarily uh, fare as well under the same sort of scrutiny. But my question to those sorts of people is the main question. Well, what about Jesus, though? What decisions have you made about him? Well, in this episode, we are in Matthew 13, 52 to 14, 12. And this text is kind of an interlude between major sections in Matthew. We've just finished the parables. And then another big section will start in 1413 with the feeding of the 5,000. But the stuff that's in between is not just filler. As I read it, notice how this passage gives us two examples of people who are put on the horns of a dilemma concerning the central issue, who is Jesus. And both groups respond negatively and have negative consequent results. So I'll be in Matthew chapter 13 starting in verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people, because they considered John a prophet. 
On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now, we have seen people on the horns of a dilemma before. Uh, The issue of how people actually respond to Jesus um, has been brought up in the Gospel of Matthew. We learned a couple chapters ago that there are those who say he casts out demons only by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. Uh, What we have here in these two case studies, if you will, is something that's not quite so extreme. They're not They're certainly not as hostile as all that, and yet their responses are clearly inadequate. Now, both groups of people, uh, the the synagogue at Nazareth and the palace um, in Galilee, are both astonished. Herod is amazed when he hears about what Jesus does, and the people in the synagogue are also impressed with Jesus' powerful works. And they both wonder, how could it be that Jesus is able to do these things? And yet, that's as far as uh, their spiritual journey goes. uh, Both groups are led to an inadequate response, which then turns to inadequate results. Let's take a closer look at the Nazareth account. Uh, This comes right after the collection of several parables. If you remember, if you've been uh, listening to these podcasts or reading along with us in Matthew, that right before the telling of the parables, we have something very similar. Uh, listen again to Matthew 12, 46 to 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Notice the similarity between these two accounts. Um, In both accounts, we have the uh, inadequate response of those who grew up with Jesus, and the first his family, and the others, uh, the people of his hometown, because of his family. And this is placed over against those who do properly respond, who hear the word of God and do it. And this forms kind of like a framing structure around the parables. And it picks up on a big theme in the parables that, yes, the kingdom of God has come, but not everybody's going to respond to it properly. And in fact, the the people who respond incorrectly sometimes are surprising. They're not the kinds of people that we would expect. In fact, we could even tie this in with um, the parable of the sower. In the interpretation that I suggested a couple episodes ago, we talked about there are people who are hit with the impact of the the gospel message, and yet uh, they don't process it long enough uh, to really come to an understanding of what's actually going on. In fact, uh, verse 21, discussing the uh, parable of the sower, has the Greek word skandalizo. There's translated, they fell away. Um, 
And here, in the text that we just read, in um, the end of Matthew 13, we have people who uh, are offended or who fall away because of the way that Jesus uh, was brought up. This illustrates people, uh, in other words, the, the synagogue at Nazareth illustrates people who have ears but don't really hear, who see or who have eyes but don't really perceive because their heart has grown dull. They're hit with the impact of the kingdom, but they don't actually come to a true understanding of the gospel and of who Jesus is um, and instead fall away. One reason that this uh, account is given towards the end of Matthew 13 is to illustrate the kind of inadequate response to the main question. The account about Herod the Great does something similar, but before we move on to that, I'd like to just point out something that can be easy to miss in this short little account of what happens at Nazareth. It's well known that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really don't give us very much information about the way that Jesus grew up. Uh, Luke is the one who gives us the most. He gives us a short little story about how he traveled to the temple when he was about 12 years old. But all the other Gospels uh, just kind of quickly pass over this period of time. It's a period of time that's sometimes called the silent years of Jesus. But this passage that we just read does give us some uh, important information. It reveals that the people who grew up with Jesus and around him didn't realize that anything particularly spectacular was going on with Jesus when he was being raised. This is in contrast to like other uh, Gnostic Gospels or, or other stories about Jesus later on in a couple centuries uh, later, uh, in which Jesus is like making clay birds and then making them come alive or helping his father out in the carpentry shop and making boards longer, things like that. No, in contrast to all of those super Jesus stories, uh, the Bible suggests that when Jesus was growing up, he looked absolutely normal. And then, one day, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, and that's when his miraculous ministry started. Those who grew up around him were completely taken by surprise. There's kind of a practical lesson for us here, too. Uh, sometimes, over-familiarity with who Jesus is uh, can distract us from the grandeur. We're actually talking and dealing with Jesus, the greatest person who has ever lived. The next section uh, also records uh, another uh, inappropriate response to who Jesus is. Um, someone that we would, well, in some ways, after all, he is the Tetrarch, he is the king. Um, we would expect to rightly respond to Jesus if we were listening to the story for the very first time, but fails to do so. Uh, he also is amazed with who Jesus is, but this amazement doesn't lead to a right response. Now, his problem is that he has a lack of backbone. We could even compare him to the thorny ground, people who are impacted by the message, and yet um, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. He's at a party, and he doesn't want to look bad, and he has a reputation to defend, after all, uh, lead him to an inappropriate response. In fact, he's kind of like uh, Pilate. Uh, later on, when we eventually get to the, the part about Jesus' trial, who is impressed with Jesus, who kind of likes him. And yet, because of the pressure of the people around him, just don't have the backbone to say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no matter what the cost is. Uh, Herod's response is, um, 
about Jesus is inadequate, and then this is really highlighted with a long story about what he has done with John the Baptist. He believes that John the Baptist has somehow come back to life or is like a ghost giving Jesus his uh, miraculous powers. Now, the Gospel of John tells us that John the Baptist did not do any miracles. So instead, the idea seems to be that uh, John thinks that Jesus is so miraculous because he somehow has supernatural help because John and Jesus' ministries are so similar as far as their call to repentance. Now, as we're listening to the story about King Herod and how he is so easily influenced by his wife to harm a prophet, this reminds us of the way that uh, the Gospel of Matthew has described John the Baptist as a second Elijah. After all, do you remember the, the famous and epic battle between Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel? Ahab kind of likes Elijah. But it's because of the influence of his wife, who hates the prophet because he is calling her out, uh, that, uh, that the prophet's life is eventually sought. However, Elijah famously is spared, and yet uh, John the Baptist is not spared, and he's cruelly beheaded in prison. All of this serves to highlight how bad Herod actually is, how bad the opposition is that faces uh, Jesus and John the Baptist and the disciples. They are just like Ahab. In fact, they actually succeed in killing the prophets. And all of this sets us up for the theme of persecution so far. Mention of Herod reminds us of the last time we came across uh, a Herod, but there it was King Herod who famously uh, slaughtered all of the, ch the children, the baby boys in Bethlehem because he did not like the message, the announcement of the new king and the new kingdom. But since then, there wasn't much uh, violent reaction to the message of the kingdom. Jesus had warned about it, but now here in chapter 14, uh, we are told that it's actually started. And all of this simply serves to foreshadow the great persecution, uh, the suffering and the passion that the Lord Jesus himself will experience when he goes to the cross and is rejected uh, by Pilate and the, the religious leaders of Israel. Uh, the idea of persecution because of our loyalty to Jesus and the message of the kingdom is not just a theoretical idea. It is a very real danger. And this forces us to make a decision. Um, will we be faithful to Jesus? Will our commitment lie with him, even if it's in the face of very real opposition? That is the question. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partners.